Welcome to the Sharid Sedek Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. Here you'll find a live recording of just about every sermon, Devar Torah, teaching, or story from our Arab Shabbat and High Holy Day services. We know that you wish you could be with us more often, and we understand life getting in the way is not a bad thing. To live Jewishly is to understand that just as important as it is that Judaism happens in the synagogue, it's even more important to live Jewishly in your home and on your way. So here we are, in your home, on your way, maybe even on your morning run. If you ever have any questions or want to continue the discussion, let one of us know, and make sure you check out our live stream and YouTube channel for more ways that Sharit Zedek is available to you on demand. Keep an eye on your shofar and email so that when you're able, you can be with us as well. Looking forward to seeing you soon. Elie Wiesel saw the worst of humanity. Surviving his time in Auschwitz and Buchenwald, his book Night was written at a time before many were sharing their stories and he opened the door for others to make the stories of the atrocities of the Holocaust known to the world. Wiesel would go on to not only be a prolific writer, but also a political activist fighting for the rights of minorities and those being persecuted worldwide, leading him to win the Nobel Peace Prize in 1986. Wiesel was a historian, an inspiring speaker, and an activist but he was also one of the great Jewish thinkers of modern time. He wrote collections of Hasidic stories and theology, and he also wrote extensively about the Bible and the Talmud. Where Wiesel's take on these subjects was unique, however, was that rather than simply diving into the text, Wiesel looked at the people. When looking at the Talmud, rather than writing an analysis of the law, he wrote about the rabbis who wrote the law, exploring what we can learn about each of them as people from their decisions and rulings. And this was the same approach he took when looking at the Torah and the rest of the Hebrew Bible. And while the time of which he wrote was two to 4,000 years ago, the conclusions to which he arrived could not have more truth in our modern world. In the 10th chapter of Leviticus, Nadav and Avihu, the oldest sons of Aaron, were consumed by a fire of God after offering an improvised sacrifice to God. They were celebrating. They had just been ordained as priests, and the first sacrifice had just been offered at the Mishkan, that portable temple that followed us in the wilderness. They tried to do what they thought God wanted of them at this holy time, but because they didn't follow the instructions, because God had just told them the specific way to do things and they didn't do it that way, they were made into an example. Now, I tell our B'nai Mitzvah students that we don't have to like everything we read in the Torah. We should not like everything we read in the Torah. Often we learn more from those things we don't like and asking why we don't like them than we do from the ones that are easy to read in today's world. Wiesel, utilizing his own experience and the story of the Jewish people, makes it very clear that he does not like this story. But in examining why he's able to make that which is incomprehensible, both meaningful 
and relevant. The rabbis attempt to defend God's actions. And Wiesel will teach us the rabbinic interpretations of the boys' different transgressions. But Wiesel refuses to blame them. He focuses on the fact that unlike so many brothers in our text, Nadav and Avihu were working together, trying to do what they thought was right. And they tragically lost their lives because of it. While Wiesel was sympathetic toward Nadav and Avihu, he found no such sympathy for another biblical character, Korach, whose story is just as troubling and difficult to understand. Korach, a distinguished member of the Israelite community, garnered followers and confronted Moses, saying, You take too much upon yourself, for the whole congregation is holy, every one of them, and God is with them. Why then do you lift yourself up above the entire assembly of the Lord? Now, rather than fight or debate with Korach, Moses suggested that Korach and his followers would make an offering, and Aaron and the priests would also make an offering, and they would let God decide who was in the right. Well, as the offerings were made, the ground opened up, swallowing Korach and his lead henchmen alive with fire consuming the 250 chieftains who had made offerings with Korach. God spared their families and those from the masses who had been intrigued by Korach's argument, but had not followed him completely. This story is troubling on so many levels, and not just that whole ground opening up and swallowing people thing. The most disconcerting was the fact that Korach may have been right, after all, the whole community is holy. The whole community was there when God spoke at Mount Sinai. We're going to read about one of those moments tomorrow. And that great rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel will even use this quote unironically in his work, God in Search of Man. The message has power. And if Korach were genuinely asking why Moses, why Aaron, why his sons, if Korach were really defending the holiness of the people as a whole, wouldn't Wiesel have the same reaction as he did for Aaron's sons? But he doesn't. According to Wiesel, the problem was not with the message. It was with the messenger. He wrote the following about Korach in an article published in the magazine Bible Review 20 years ago. Truth to tell, Korach is difficult to understand. Something about him escapes us and troubles us. Could it be that he is so nearly transparent, it seems easy, too easy, to grasp his motives, which can only be described as vile and base. Here is a person who should be content with his lot. He belongs to a famous tribe. He's related to the great chiefs of the nation. He's respected in high places. And yet he remains unsatisfied, never at peace with himself. We sense he is agitated inside, sapped by hostile, ill-fated forces. He tends toward destruction, and in the end, he destroys himself. While jealousy is one of Korach's problems, to Wiesel, it is not his greatest one. 
It's only natural, Wiesel says, to see others who have more than you or are in a higher position and to not only be jealous, but to be bitter, spiteful, to want it for yourself. Ultimately, the biggest problem Wiesel has with Korach is the way Korach acted upon his jealousy, his motive, and his method. Unlike the Israelites, the masses who complained about hunger and thirst, the ones who still tasted slavery in their mouths and feared for their safety and survival and that of their family with every step of their journey. Unlike those whose fears were genuine, Korach's rebellion played on the fears of others to try to gain power for himself. And that kind of a power grab was particularly frightening to Elie Wiesel. And it was unforgivable. Comparing Wiesel's profile of Nadav and Avihu to that of Korach is to see two misguided attempts at evolving the worship system of the time. And while they seemingly led to similar results, one was done with a genuine desire for good, and the other was not. 1900 years before Wiesel wrote, the Mishnah Avot taught that there are two types of machloket, disputes. Those that are l'shem shemaim, for the sake of heaven, and those that are not. Korach is given as the example of a machloket, a dispute that is not l'shem shemaim. And the legal debates between the rabbis Hillel and Shammai are given as the example for how a dispute can be, l'shem shemaim, for the sake of heaven. This is explained in the Gemara, a later text, which says, although Beit Shammai, the school of Shammai, and Beit Hillel, the school of Hillel, disagreed, and there are at least 300 critical issues in the Talmud over which these two disagree. Nevertheless, they behaved with love and friendship toward one another. The 13th century commentator Me'iri explains further. In the debates of Hillel and Shammai, one of them would render a decision and the other would argue against it out of a desire to discover the truth, not out of cantankerousness or a wish to prevail over his fellow. That is why when he was right, the words of the person who disagreed endured. An argument not for the sake of heaven was that of Korach and his company, for they came to undermine Moses and his position out of envy and contentiousness and ambition for victory. Hillel went above and beyond in this direction, which is, according to one teaching, why his decisions were almost always chosen as the correct ones. As it's written, the school of Hillel was agreeable and forbearing, showing restraint when affronted. And when they taught the law, they would teach both their own statements and the statements of the school of Shammai. Moreover, when they formulated their teachings and cited one of these disputes, they prioritized the statements of Shammai to their own. They gave Shammai's teaching first. Can you imagine such a thing? Wiesel concludes his profile of Korach by contrasting him with Aaron, Moses' brother, the high priest. Aaron is, in effect, challenged by Korach even more than Moses, for it is the priesthood that seems to be Korach's ultimate goal. While Moses was the one who responded to Korach's challenge, 
Aaron remained silent. Why? Wiesel said the difference is humility. He wrote, In his innermost heart, Aaron is convinced that Korach is right. Korach is undoubtedly better and more deserving than he is. But humility, Wiesel continued, is precisely what Korach lacks. Wiesel writes elsewhere, To be humble before God is easy. To be humble before another person is not. Isn't it in man's nature to feel closest to himself? Hence the Talmud's insistence on warning us against self-indulgence and above all self-adoration, which is compared to idolatry. True humility, he writes, is judging oneself with severity and judging others with understanding. This message rings throughout our Yom Kippur observance. To be humble, to be able to recognize our own faults while trying to be as forgiving as we can to those of others. This was Aaron's strength. And this, according to Wiesel, was Korach's ultimate weakness and the cause of his downfall. The problem was not that Korach wanted something better for himself and his family. It wasn't even that he challenged the leadership. It was that he was so sure of himself and his own abilities that he was unable to see his own faults and admit his mistakes. He was so sure that others were the cause of his problems that he was unable to see his own role in those problems or to see the good in the people he blamed. While Korach claimed to be a voice for the people, in the end, Korach was only a voice for himself. As we prepare for what is sure to be an even more rancorous few months in our country than we've already seen, and we pray it is only a few months, we have to remind ourselves that it does not have to be this way. We can only control the machlokot, the disputes in which we are each a part. But we pray for wisdom for all those in power and all those with powerful voices, that they may guide us in disputes that remain l'shem shemayim, that strive to be for the sake of all of our well-being. And this message tonight goes far beyond the political and media spheres. Every encounter we have with another, every encounter we have with ourselves, has the potential to be like that of Hillel and Shammai. L'shem shemayim, when we can learn from each other, show love, friendship, and compassion. When we listen to the voice of the other, seeking to understand, reframing our own thoughts with that newly gained understanding. May this kind of conversation, this holy relationship, always be our goal. We will err. But that too, like Nadav and Avihu, can be L'shem Shemayim when our hearts are in the right place. May we be forgiving of others who are trying to do the right thing, whose intentions are pure, even when they go about it the wrong way. And in a world in which we are surrounded by far too many Korachs, we too will have our Korach moments, fighting just for the sake of fighting, seeking gains for ourselves at the expense of others, allowing ourselves to be tempted by conspiracies and easy answers that place the blame on others without acknowledging our own role in the problem, 
or denying that there is a problem altogether. May these Korach moments never become the norm. And may the light of the truth of what God desires of us shine through, even in our darkest moments. Tomorrow we will read from our Torah, I have set before you life and death. Choose life, therefore, that you and your children may live. We do not live in a world of divine punishment, consuming fires and ground swallowing. But we still can be swallowed and consumed if we are not careful. Yom Kippur, however, is our reminder that we have a choice. There is a way back from that darkness. We have an opportunity that Nadav, Avihu, and Korach did not get. We can admit our wrongs. We can learn from our mistakes. We can do better. Elie Wiesel, having seen the darkest of moments, knew all too well the worst that humanity is capable of. And yet he chose to see the good in the world around him, seeking to see people for who they truly were, not how they were carried astray. May we give our family, our friends, our neighbors, and ourselves that same compassion and love. And may we choose to move forward to a year that I pray will be L'Shem Shemayim for the sake of heaven, for the sake of humanity, for the sake of peace. Amen.